right. Welcome, everyone. This is Christy Baltzels. I'm the Executive Director of MitoAction, and so glad to have you all with us today. And our topic today with Ms. Abby Usen from Tufts Medical Center is nutrition. Hi, Abby. Hi. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I guess I'll just get started by saying, you know, we feel so lucky to have you today as a speaker because um, – I think you have a lot of hands-on experience with MITRE patients, and I'm excited to hear about your experience as well as applying some of the principles that you know about as a dietitian um, to people who have MITRE, both kids and adults. Abby, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll just get right started on our topic. Great. Well, thank you so much for inviting me today. Um, I was very excited to be invited. Um, I have been working with patients with mitochondrial disease for about seven or eight years. Um, my first patient was at a long-term care facility with complex one mitochondrial disease. Did my little bit of research, and I was just amazed and became fascinated by the role of nutrition that it took with this patient and all the vitamins they were on. So that was my first first experience, and since then I've been working in an outpatient pediatric um, gastroenterology clinic alongside um, a metabolic um, team as well. So that's where I've been for about the past four years. So I've been seeing mostly pediatric patients, but a slew of adults as well. Great. Super, Abby. So um, nutrition is a topic that just applies to everyone, both um, children as well as adult patients, and kind of in many cases it doesn't really matter what your specific genetic diagnosis is. It's more about, um, I think, figuring out what works for each person. So we have a lot of questions and a lot of confusion, so happy to have you talk to us today about nutrition. So why don't we go ahead and get started on the topic? I'll do the best I can, and I've tried to make it as um, general as possible. And so basically, I'm just going to go over and get a brief review of nutrition and the role of the mitochondria, um, give you some goals for whether you're the patient yourself or one of your children, barriers to achieving this, which many of you may know, um, and some strategies, and then give an example um, of future areas of research, mostly being the ketogenic diet, and answer, of course, any questions that you might have. So, okay, super. Um, so basically, with nutrition and um, mitochondrial disease, there's really not a lot of research. I keep doing lip searches every two or three months, see if there's any great new studies out, and it's very rare that there is. So a lot of, as you said, is experiential. We do know that nutrition does play a vital role in the multidisciplinary management of MITO, and to understand why, you must remember that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Um, so mitochondria are responsible for converting nutrients derived from food into ATP which is the primary energy source for a normal cell to function. So anytime you have a disorder in that, you are affecting the way you're actually metabolizing the food. It's actually, as you're probably well aware, a group of disorders. And in terms of the decreasability of the mitochondria to supply the energy requirements needed. And there's many ways that this defect can occur in various enzyme pathways um, that are affected. Thus, that's um, where what we know of the mito cocktail, other pharmaceutical interventions come into play, as well as nutrition being a primary part of it. I'm not going to get into the vitamin and cofactor 
and mineral, vitamin, mineral, and cofactor therapy today. That would be enough for another talk, um, so I'll leave that for another conference call. Um, so what are the goals for nutrition and adults, um, for children and adults with mitochondrial disease? For children, the goal is to provide proper nutrition that's to promote normal growth and development, meeting their needs for energy, which is calories, proteins, fluids, vitamins, and minerals. The major difference in adults is they're not growing anymore. So making sure we're not overfeeding or underfeeding adults and um, continually to make sure that they're getting enough protein, their protein needs, vitamins, and minerals. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about protein, getting the correct calorie and energy balance, and also another big topic these days for me, as well as um, more and more literature in the news, is calcium and vitamin D. So these are all things that no matter what type of mitochondrial disease you um, may have or your child may have that are really important components. So protein. When I'm seeing patients, mostly in, as I said, the outpatient GI setting, I always complete a 24-hour recall. And for those patients who are eating, which we try to encourage, um, their diet will end up being very high in carbohydrates. And I'll ask them, what's, what's missing? And a great deal of the time, it's the protein. And which is what I want to focus on a bit is twisting it and making sure whenever we're having carbohydrates, we're having a protein as well. Protein is stored as muscle. Muscle will then make you stronger. And so it also helps in conjunction with the carbohydrate, helps moderate blood sugars better as well. It helps with the absorption. So anytime when we're planning a meal or a snack, I always stress that with that carbohydrate that the patient might be eating, we figure out a way to get a good source of protein in. Just as a reminder, protein can be found in dairy products, milk and yogurt, eggs, um, cheese, lean meat, fish, poultry. Um, don't forget about beans and legumes, nuts, peanut butter, um, soy milk, tofu, or just some suggestions for protein as well as other protein supplements. So it's really important to, when when planning and looking at your your child's intake or your intake, to make sure that each meal is um, containing a good source. Um, practically, if you were to think about the size of your fist or even smaller, getting that amount per meal would definitely be adequate. So it's nothing um, huge. It's just making sure you have some. The other important factor is making sure we're not underfeeding and overfeeding, and I'll go over that in a little bit. If you're not getting enough calories, your vitamin cofactors are not going to be as effective. You're not going to have enough energy, and a lot of times if you're not getting enough calories, we relate that to the diagnosis and the disease process when, in fact, it's something that can be adjusted. Too many calories from, say, a lot of my patients are on um, dextrose, such as D5 or D10, in addition, breast dehydration. Just changing that to a normal saline or cutting it back a few days a week can minimize overfeeding because overfeeding and providing empty calories um, will result in weight gain, which then is more work on the body um, when you have less energy to begin with. So that's something to keep in mind as well. So making sure your weight is stable in an ideal range for you and where your child is on the growth chart. 
Calcium and vitamin D um, are very important. You're just having a high-carbohydrate diet, probably not getting enough. Um, calcium, we really want you to try to get it um, in, the, um, in, the, in food. So making sure for you and your child you're getting about three good sources a day of calcium. Examples of calcium, you know, good sources would be yogurt, cheese, um, even broccoli, cottage cheese, almonds, or just a few, calcium-fortified orange juice. So making sure you're able to get, when you are eating, those are actually still good sources of protein, and you'll get your calcium as well. The other important fact is vitamin C. The recommendation for adults has increased, um, it's actually doubled this year, from 400 to 800. It used to be that we could get our, all of our vitamin D in 16 ounces of milk. Not anymore. Um, so we're not going to make you drink 32 ounces of milk a day. So it is important that you are eating foods that are high um, in vitamin D, and that can come from the fortified dairy, um, products. Um, eggs have vitamin D, Swiss cheese, yogurt, tuna fish, um, salmon um, are some examples. And if you're, um, what's really important is to know that calcium does not get absorbed unless you have enough vitamin D. So it is an important combination to have. Um, however, vitamin D doesn't get isn't useful unless it's active, and only can get activated by the sunlight. So, 10 minutes a day. Um, you know, if you're sitting on Myrtle Beach right now, you're getting some vitamin D activation. However, um, a lot of us up north, when we're inside most of the winter, um, we're, we're really at risk. So making sure you and your child can get outside for at least 10 minutes a day and get direct exposure is very important. If you're not getting these items and you're needing a supplement, make sure you talk to your primary care, your mitochondrial physician who follows your mitochondrial disease and ask what would be the best. Um, approach for you. These supplements come in powders, liquids, chewable, they're readily available. Um, so there's really many different ways to get, get the extra calcium and vitamin D. So getting enough protein, the right calcium, the right amount of energy, easy, right? Well, no, there's so many other things that I'm aware of that can interrupt um, and interrupt getting the right nutrition. You have muscle weakness, you have motility issues in your gastrointestinal tract, you have ataxia, reflux, feeding difficulties, dysphagia, failure to thrive, abdominal pain, um, diarrhea, vomiting, electrolyte abnormalities, the list goes on. So we know that it's difficult. However, your, your need for proper nutrition doesn't change. So that's, then my goal is to meet, help meet the needs of my patients. And everyone that I work with, in one way or another, wants to improve their nutrition status or even the experience that they have at meals and make it a better experience. Um, so I have some general um, guidelines that I find that can help a, a broad group of patients. Eating four to six small nutrient-dense meals a day, so really getting the most um, nutrition in a, in a small amount of food is really important, so getting that protein and combining it with the complex carbohydrate is really important. I mentioned before, maintaining a healthy weight. Um, there are ways that we can add extra calories if you need extra calories, and I'll give some suggestions for that in a minute. Um, 
Also look at empty calories you might be having if, you're, if you are overweight and making sure that you're not just going up on juices and other non-nutrient-dense foods that um, can be contributing to a weight gain. Um, avoiding fasting is, a, is a very important. So by eating the four to, small, four to six small meals a day, you eliminate fat risks during the day, but then we have bedtime. Um, and sleeping over, overnight and basically. So at bedtime, I always recommend a complex carbohydrate, which would be a cracker, holy toast, cereal, and it's in conjunction with a protein. So not just getting a candy bar, jello, or a sugar cereal before bed, but really trying to combine um, the complex carbohydrate plus the um, protein. Many patients will give, will have cornstarch at night. Cornstarch um, does help um, slow the release of glucose and um, can be very helpful for an overnight fast. Doesn't taste very great, but um, that can be mixed with, say, a pudding. Um, a lot of patients that I see do come to me with not getting enough calories and not getting the right nutrition. Whether it's pediatric patients, we I work a lot with using um, concentrating formulas, so more powder, less water, um, adding uh, specific protein powders. Um, I've had a great success with a product, um, Dulacal, which is a carbohydrate and fat modular. Um, gravies, um, oils, great, um, and different um, ways that you can add extra calories um, to each meal, and so that, um, especially with patients with sensitive GI tract and with fatigue, very easily. Um, there's protein supplements that you can use. Um, if you're not getting enough protein, you can add. Um, there's then a protein or a different sort of whey protein that if you need that. But always try to get it with your food first. Have a dietitian calculate out a three-day diet record for you. Even if they are not truly familiar with mitochondrial disease, you can at least get an idea of what your nutrition intake is and see where you stand in terms of what vitamin, mineral, um, you know, where you are with your vitamin, mineral intake, and also your calorie and protein intake. But they don't need to be a specialist. It's nice if they are, but just get a recall and do a three-day recall and they can do the calculations. That would be very helpful. If from that intake you're not getting enough calories, consider it a multivitamin with minerals. Um, some will actually have theirs without iron. And maybe even just take a half a day or one every other day, but talk to your physician about that and base it on what your normal intake is. Um, many patients we see do have um, a gastric or gigosomy tube, um, which we can get those extra calories in if needed, um, especially if fatigue is an issue or we'll give it overnight. Um, always we try to use the gut and um, encourage eating or the feet as well, which is really important. Um, we do have patients that do require TPN, um, which is nutrition. It's um, given uh, intravenously, but it's really our last result. We want to use the gut if we can. It's the most important thing that you can do um, and that we can do for you. Um, you're going to have low energy and. I always see patients in clinic, and they send to a lot of doctor's appointments, and they're just very fatigued um, after such a long day, or just, you know, activities of daily life can just, um, you know, make things very difficult. 
um, for those low energy days, be prepared. Have um, meals that are ready, healthy, um, protein-rich meals with a carbohydrate or a fruit and a vegetable on hand in the freezer. They're ready to go. So if you're not having a great day, you can easily have good nutrition versus going to a, a lower nutrient option. Um, if you have friends who are good cooks, maybe they can pre-portion some of their um, extras up for you if they're making a big batch of food, so you have it in your freezer for those days. Um, always make sure you're combining a protein and a carbohydrate with your snacks, and um, keep nutrition supplements on hand if need be, such as for pe children, Pediasure, um, Ensure, Boost, Carnations, and Breakfast, as well as another good option, just to have on hand might not use them more than once a month, but at least you have an option for good nutrition when you need it. I always recommend before any sort of activity that you're combining that protein um, and carbohydrate for a, a snack before you're going to a doctor's appointment. Make sure you do that and bring, um, bring something with you as well. So it's a lot of it is planning ahead. In terms of future research, um, I hope that there's more to come, that, um, but there are, it is challenging because there's so many different presentations of mitochondrial disease that makes research the studies difficult. One area that has been around for a bit is the ketogenic diet. Um, sounds like a few people are utilizing that right now. Basically, um, it's a diet that's been used for patients who have seizure disorders, so it would um, be for patients who have mitochondrial disease with seizure disorders that do not have any sort of fat, um, fatty oxidation um, issues. Basically, it's a high-fat diet where you usually will be admitted to a hospital for several days in order to go into a state of ketosis. Ketosis is where the body no longer uses glucose as its energy source, but fat. Um, there's um, many patients will actually have supplemented tube feeds of a specific high-fat, um, low-carbohydrate um, formula, or many patients will um, eat the, um, take the whole diet by mouth, which is, um, requires careful calculations of grams of fat per meal and protein and minimal carbohydrate. So it's, it's a challenging diet, especially if you have children who are a little bit older and have been exposed to um, other foods. But if you're starting at a younger, a younger age, infancy, it has definitely been um, shown to have some effects, but they're really, the, the research is, is limited. Um, so as you can see, just going over everything, nutrition for mitochondrial patients is very individualized whether you have a G-tube or um, fatigue easily, our goal is to monitor your nutrition intake and make sure you're getting everything that you need. Um, one last thing I, I meant to, um, wanted to mention is don't be afraid of using a a blender or soft, um, soft vegetables or fruits, um, especially on days with, when you are more fatigued, that um, you can utilize the softer foods and soups that can be um, 
another way to get some extra nutrition in that are much easier to, to eat. Thank you, Abby. Um, I had a couple questions before we open it up okay. to everyone. Um, one would be, you know, um, if if it's, it may be different for a child versus an adult, but can you give us a general a kind of rule of thumb calculation on how much hydration, um, how many liquids in, in ounces a person needs based on their body weight if they have mitochondrial disease? Because it's been my experience that um, – Adequate hydration and really aggressive hydration is very important. It is. And it really, um, from, and I didn't get into fluid too much, so I apologize, but it is very individualized. What I've learned from working with um, the metabolism experts here at Tufts is it really is a right looking at what your current um, urine output and um, urine osmolality is like and then adjusting it from there. Um, if you were to, you know, many patients need, um, you know, we will we go by the rule of thumb, sometimes the eight, eight-ounce glasses a day. But a lot of it depends on different autonomic issues that are um, occurring and, um, and adjusting the fluids based on those symptoms. So there, I have seen such high amounts of fluid needs in mitochondrial patients that I couldn't even put a a rule of thumb up for it, um, but it's all been using um, urine tests and blood pressures and such to try to find the best um, ratio of fluid for that patient. So, uh, so, because unfortunately many of the patients, especially who live in areas where they're not served by doctors or hospitals that are very knowledgeable about mitochondrial disease, it's it's tough for them to even find someone who can understand their disease and much less who would really go to the great deal of depth and support and effort to do some of those tests. But it sounds like a general idea is that um, hydration is really important and that it's probably more common than not that people are underhydrating. And and so, you know, I always feel that it's important to, as one of the first places that you assess if you are Finding that you or your child is um, struggling at all to really step back and review exactly what your fluid intake is and then try to increase it. Exactly. And the rule of thumb for, you know, a patient without mitochondrial disease, the standard um, would be it's all per, I know, per kilo. But if you were to take 150-pound person, they would need just on standard fluid amounts would be about 80 ounces a day of fluid. So that's a lot. Um, and you can utilize a lot your color of your urine. A lot of the cofactors will make your urine bright yellow, so that's a challenge. But, um, you know, the amount that you are urinating can be helpful. Anything that melts at room temperature is considered a fluid. So you don't have to just always be drinking soups or um, counters of fluid. Um, popsicles, jello, anything that ice cream, anything that melts is, is considered a fluid. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's helpful. I feel um, that that's one of those areas that sometimes when you are getting really um, heavily involved in the, you know, organic amino acid profile of, of the patients that the basic things like are you eating and drinking enough um, and of the right things can get overlooked. So I appreciate you speaking to that. Um, 
a little bit. And then my other question was, do you find that there's any explanation, um, Abby, about why protein is so important? Because um, for children, carbohydrates, I think, are um, more appealing to many kids and easier to chew. And so um, I've heard from many parents that they do find that their kids are having many more carbohydrates. And in theory, if you think a little bit about the way that the mitochondria have to do their work in breaking down the glucose into ATP, it makes me wonder if then if you're overloading the body with carbohydrate, if that um, could have a, a negative effect on the metabolism because you're already not at peak performance in the mitochondria. Um, what's your thought on that, and would you speak a little bit about why protein is important? Well, the the major thing would be helping the peaks of your the glucose getting into the, the cell. So the protein actually helps minimize having those spikes of, um, of when your insulin, you know, gets excreted. So keeping more just um, stable blood sugars in general. Um, you know, sometimes we hear about people crashing a little bit after a meal. Well, that's their crash is feeling tired because it just had all this carbohydrate and nothing to really balance it out. Um, for children, they don't need that much protein, but it's a matter of an ounce at each meal, which would be, say, two tablespoons, um, as an example, say, two tablespoons of peanut butter, one egg, um, things like that um, will help balance out um, those effects on the blood sugars. Great. Thank you, Abby. Well, I'm sure people have some questions, so do you mind if we open up the lines to answer some questions now? I'll do what I can. Okay, super. So, everyone, I'm going to unmute your line. All right. And I just remind you that if you are in a noisy place um, and you need to, you know, mute the background noise so that it doesn't disturb the others on the call, just use star There we go. Super. Okay, thank you. So, um, who has a question? I, I have one. Um, go ahead. Would you introduce yourself? This is Sandra. I, I, my daughter has a G-tube, and she was, you know, had failure to thrive when she was little, and I think every kid should come with a G-tube now because they're wonderful. But one of the things I haven't heard you mention, I don't know if this is common or it's just with her, she has no appetite. She will eat regularly, but she has no appetite. And I haven't heard any any other kids with Milo really having that. And it, have you seen that? And if you have, what have you seen done effectively to help them increase their appetite? And this is Trisha Belke. My son is the exact same way. Really? Sold and there's no appetite. Yeah, isn't it crazy? You can put, like, a, a chunk of butter in front of them or ice cream, and they'll just be like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I understood too. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I actually see that a lot with both mito and um, uh, uh, children without mitochondrial disease. A lot of it is looking at if there's um, the motility, and um, so many patients with mitochondrial disease have decreased motility, meaning it takes so much longer for the food to go through the stomach. And anytime you do give them food, um, that it just stays with them for so long that they, they don't have that sense of hunger. So I would highly suggest um, that you can look into that as one potential um, reason for that. 
Um, if they're on YouTube feeds, really playing around with the timing of the feeds. Um, if you're only giving it at night, a lot of times most will wake up in the morning not hungry, gradually um, get hunger throughout the day. But um, looking at the motility issues um, and the appetite, I would suggest doing. Is there anything else? Because we've kind of done that. You know, she does the Marilax and she... Um, and the feedings are just at night, so I understand the morning. But like I said, do you ever recommend any kind of the thing I'm scared about? Is, you know, is there anything for an appetite increase that we should be giving them, or you know, am I going to look to relying on the G tube forever? Um, a lot of things. What I do is the the small frequent meals. So um, just getting little bits of food throughout the day. Um, there are appetite stimulants out there. Um, we try to not go that route because yeah. um, we want to try to but it's definitely a route that we do take and we do try with patients um, that are usually over the age of two um, so that's more of a medical question on that regard but really every time they do eat trying to maximize every bite so not giving just a cracker making sure that cracker has um, a piece of cheese or something on it where you know that they're not going to eat that much <coughs> that you can try and do you notice that it being a texture issue at all? No, and she's had like the swallowing test and everything like that because we were just thinking it had to be something. Um, and it's not like flavors or textures or anything. It's just absolutely no hunger. It's, it's weird. I don't have hunger either, so I understand. Does she have, is her mitochondrial disease affect her brain as well? Yeah, she has global development delays. Yep. Yeah, and that, so does my son, and I always wonder if it's the actual signal to his telling him that he should be hungry, if it can be that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try everything you just said with the mini meals, and well, she, that's her life anyways, mini meals, because she, she just picks like one bite. But I'm not sure that one bite now has protein on it, too. And just maximizing every bite. And, you know, gradually I see some kids, they, they do increase. And uh, by giving them multiple meals multiple meals throughout the day, the calories do add up. And, you know, utilizing the G-tube, but, you know, not making, you know, making the meal scheduled is also helpful versus if they're not into food or interested in food, having it always being pushed upon them can be difficult, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Have you ever had um, experience with use of uh, periactin in order to stimulate appetite? I have. I've seen um, some great effects with that. I've seen not so great effects where it just has a, a, a um, it can make kids very tired. So um, it's definitely an option to try depending if you're medical. Um, you know, the physician is right. Sometimes it's, it's something to ask of the primary care doctor or the pediatrician. Um, but, it, it, but again, I think it depends on the energy level of the kids. Periactin is it's an antihistamine, I believe, that um, but has a side effect of stimulating appetite. But because it's an, Abby, am I right? Is it an antihistamine? You know, yes. And so they usually want to rule out all other causes of the hunger the reasoning, you know, making sure they're not masking anything. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, that's great. Great answer and, and discussion. Um, do we have another question from our callers? I have a question. Go ahead. Um, 
my doctor diagnosed with mitochondrial myopathy and told me that in terms of diet, to decrease sugar um, and increase protein, which I understand sort of the reason behind it. But what I don't understand is I've been on IV saline for several years now, and we kind of found out by accident one time in switching to dextrose some that I actually felt a lot better, a lot more energy. And I kind of don't understand why I feel better on IV dextrose but feel so lousy if there's any carbs or sugar in the diet. Um, I mean, I'm going to try to explain this the best that I can. Um, you know, with, and I do hear that a lot, and with the IV dextrose, it is sort of a quick, it can be more of a quick fix um, to get, because the energy, it does go right to your cells versus having it to be metabolized in the body. So your body is just, it gets metabolized that much quicker. And you're probably just not utilizing what you are eating because of that defect. Okay. Um, but um, just Robert, sorry to interrupt. Um, the doctor stated David's currently in the hospital, and whenever he's in the hospital, he goes directly on DTN and half normal saline solution, and he can't tolerate sugar because the digestive system can't absorb it. But with the DTN, it turns him around almost instantly. For some reason, it just hits the cells, just as you stated, as an as energy zap and provides a lot of additional um, energy to the different mitochondrial cells, where if it's going in through the, through the gastrointestinal system, it doesn't absorb, and it, his sugar levels, are, if he eats the sugar through his stomach, you know, we do a finger prick on him, he'll have high sugar levels, but the D10 doesn't affect his sugar levels at all. It's, it's weird the way it metabolizes, but it's just, I guess, the way that it goes through the different pathways, either through your bloodstream or through your gastrointestinal system, is how the doctors explained it to me. Exactly. If you don't have the enzyme to break down that carbohydrate, which could be that defect in the mitochondria, um, getting it in can be helpful. Great. Thank you. Another question. As an adult patient with uh, motility problems, uh, <clears throat> I find that certain foods seem harder to digest, like meats and, and things. Are, are there certain foods that you would recommend not trying to get protein from or, or not trying to eat at all? That's a great question, um, and I'm glad you brought that up. So with motility, um, higher fat, high-fat foods, um, tend to slow down motility. So anytime we have a very high-fat diet, that sort of counteracts, and, you know, makes things even worse for you. So we don't, you don't need to be on a non-fat diet by any means, but, you know, making the choices for lower-fat foods is helpful. Um, I also find after certain times of the day, patients really don't do great with whole foods. They do better with um, softer items, that have even been pureed or blenderized a little bit, where some of the work has been taken out in terms of the, the um, what your stomach is going to need to do. Um, so making pureed soups, um, you know, really, you know, soft items, using gravies, those are all items that will, you know, take that extra step out that you're, um, that you have to do. Um, I have some patients that they don't take solids after 2 p.m. They just do ensure or boost 
for the rest of the day. That's just what works for them for their severe just, um, motility issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. And keep a list. Keep a, keep a food journal. And um, it's really it's not very scientific, but I recommend it for most of my patients in order to try to see what foods are having what effect on you as well as activity. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, any other questions we have? From- I have one about motility. Um, what nutritional things can you do for motility? Right now, myself and my son have problems with um, motility, and his GI has him on um, Xbox every night to help things move, but that can be addicting and it can cause other issues, and I just... I hate giving it to him, but I don't know what else to do. What I We eat a lot of fresh fruits, a lot of fresh vegetables, and it doesn't matter how much liquid he's got or food, it seems like for both him and myself, things just don't move. So is there some things that you can um, suggest that may help that we wouldn't have to go this route? Um. If you're already, you know, sort of at that point where the foods aren't, you know, helping, it would... It don't worry about where it already works. That what? They didn't mention that, but it makes sense. Yeah. Right, pardon me? Abby, go ahead. Someone, I think, was was just talking to themselves. Okay. Um, You know, we'll... You know, for the first line of, you know, motility in terms of, say, constipation, you know, always that recommending prune juice or pear juice. But if the medication itself isn't working, um, you know, always combining, you know, whole grains, um, making sure that, you know, the bread you're eating have five grams of fiber, um, and watching the fat content. It can also um, be helpful in minimizing the the slowing of motility. I think it's important to point out also that sometimes the dysmotility with mito is is related to dysautonomia, which means that, you know, the the natural motility isn't happening because the the cues aren't being sent from your automatic nervous system in order for that to effectively happen. And so um, sometimes it's you need to continue to do all that you can to support that with diet because if you weren't, it would actually be much worse than yeah. it is right now. So so think of what you have right now as being better than what it could be because you are supplementing the diet with all the fresh fruits and vegetables and the hydration. And mm-hmm. um, Dr. Flores, F-L-O-R-E-S, gave a great talk and talked a lot about dysmotility and, and how dysautonomia and mitochondrial disease relates to that. Um, and it's on our website. So if you are interested in that, I'll put a link to it when I put up the summary, but if you want to listen to that sooner, um, if you just search his last name in the search box on the site, F-L-O-R-E-S, you'll come up with um, his presentation. I think the name of it was Tummy Troubles, and it was from the fall of last year. And you can listen to him, and Abby, you know Dr. Flores, and he, um, you know, is very animated and gave a great discussion about that because for some patients it's, it is about the diet, and then for some patients it's about the diet plus understanding, I think, the dysautonomia. Yeah, he has been diagnosed with the dysautonomia and is having issues. So, okay. 
talent. Okay. It really is. Um, great. So I think we have time for um, one or two more questions. I have a question. Go ahead. Okay. My daughter um, is two, and she drinks two cans of Pediasure a day, and she has a lot of sensory issues. She doesn't like to chew up chew foods, and well, she has a lot of global delays. And um, and she has the fatty acid, short-chain fatty acid problem. So whenever I can get her to eat anything, it's graham crackers, <laughs> graham crackers, Ritz crackers, and occasionally um, baked french fries, baked potato, you know, anything that's potato baked in the oven. But then afterwards, she has atrocious smelling stool, loose stool, every time she eats it. And that's the only salt that she eats besides the pedi- I mean, besides drinking Pediasure. I, I, how do I get her to have more fluids? And I mean, because like, is, is the fluid from Pediasure enough? Is that like enough liquid for her, or is she constantly being dehydrated? Every time she gets sick with something, we end up in the hospital because she instantly goes into ketosis. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like. You know, whether you want to rule out whether they're sort of milk protein intolerant. Well, she has lactose, and we're going to lactose intolerance. We, we've had allergy testing, and we're going in to see if she's, at the end of the month, the sucrose and fructose test. Uh, they're going to do an endoscopy in a couple weeks. So it sounds like you're, you're on that road. I would really um, complete um, food diaries for her. Okay. And also... Um, in terms of fluid, you know, at each meal or after she eats, trying to get her to um, get some sort of fluid in her. The pediatrician alone is um, not enough. Okay. Times the amount of that. Um, so, um, was she doing soups or anything? No, she, and I can't really, it's, I can't get her to drink water or juices or anything, even with a bottle. She doesn't have a G2, which we're kind of contemplating yet um, to get any kind of extra fluid in and that eight medications she takes every day is, is she gets, takes it through a bottle. She doesn't drink from a sippy cup or a cup or a straw or anything like that. Her mouth doesn't quite suck that way. It's still just a bottle or two. Or we go to OT and stuff. We're working on it. But, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to figure out other ways to get it orally in her without having to go the G2 route yet. Well, um, you know, I think it sounds like you need to rule out what else is, you know, potentially. Um, well, she gags on really thin liquids. Anything thinner than Pediasure, like Pediasure and formulas and stuff, she's always been okay with. But if it was anything thinner than that, it was, it's still a lot of gagging on it. So. Will she um, do lactate milk if it was thickened at all? Uh, no, actually lactate, those milk makers are a lot. But she doesn't have a protein allergy, so we did that test already. <clears throat> she vomits almost within 20 minutes of drinking anything that is that that kind of that milk cheeses. A pediatrician doesn't do it to her, but the other any other kind of dairy stuff does. Um, you can always increase the amount, go up to say three pediatricians. I mean, it's hard for me to say on this end here because it's so specific for her. But it sounds like it's a matter of ruling out what else is causing this for her. That it probably. Um, you know, a lot of this is sort of like peeling away an onion in terms of figuring out what what is the issue. Um, yeah, it's an ongoing figuring out what's the issue with her. Exactly. So, um, and sometimes I find that G2 a bad thing in the sense that it's not a sense of defeat. It can actually help promote 
you know, help in keeping you out of the hospital if it's just those fluids that you need to get in her. So, well, and if you're constantly dehydrated, well, like, well, just don't have enough hydration in you, does it, that also causes a lack of energy too, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I would say that it may not be um, completely the case in your situation, but for anyone who is dealing with the um, issues of gagging and inability to chew and, and coordination and so forth. Um, speech therapists who specialize in oral motor speech development can be a huge resource and often can be um, found in, in for children in your community and for adults through the rehabilitation um, services at whatever is your local hospital and will be covered by insurance and can help with um, specific exercises that will help with chewing, swallowing, and they can also recommend studies that make sure that that um, why is the gag happening and that kind of thing. And for mitochondrial disease patients, this is really important because if you think that hydration and nutrition are basically two of the three cornerstones to good daily management of your disease, the other one being energy conservation and, and rest, then that means that the intake, wherever it is, whether it's through a tube or by mouth, is really important. And so if it's by mouth, you need a team of people who are involved making sure that that can happen. And so looking for a speech therapist who specializes in oral motor intervention could be helpful for you. And I've seen, I mean, it's a, it's a long process, and it's not, you know, speech therapy is fabulous, and it's a lot of, it can be years, um, not to, to scare you, but, you know, it's a long process, but it's worth it, and, you, you know, I've seen it be successful. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I used to be a special ed teacher, so I know. It takes years. <laughs> it doesn't happen overnight, and she has every therapist there's known the man, so... It's just a, it's, a, it's a long process. It's kind of hard to see your two-year-old go through it, and when you see other two-year-olds, and that can do it just fine. It's just it's a long process, I know. <laughs> but thank you very much. It's been very um, informational and helpful. Yeah, great. So, um, Abby, I know you have clinic um, shortly. Do we have time for one more question? I can, yes, I can do one more question. Okay, so one more question. Anybody like to jump at that chance? What about if you have diabetes? Uh, are there certain supplements that you would recommend, uh, nutritional, you know, things that would help you get the proper nutrition if you're diabetic? Um, yes, definitely. Um, there's specific nutrition supplements out there. Like some, um, You can actually get them over the counter, and sometimes insurance will pay for them. One called Glucerna. Yes which is a, just a lower carbohydrate product um, that definitely would be good to have on hand. But, you know, even, you know, specifically for you, if you were just to have a carbohydrate alone, that sugar gets directly absorbed. But if you were to have, um, a, 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 you know, a bit of protein and a bit of carbohydrate, that's going to be both supportive of your blood sugars as well as your mitochondrial disease. So um, it completely is, you know. So the glucerna does that. Uh, well, in general, if you're snacking, and then glucerna in general would be a supplement that I would recommend just to have on hand for low-energy days where you're not eating as much. Okay. But the small frequent meals with the carbohydrate and a protein and making sure you're having a vegetable and a, you know, fruit now, you know, a couple times a day is it, you know, will work for you as well. Okay. Thank you. 
So, Abby, it sounds like our take-home message is that, um, you know, we you have to make sure you're meeting the needs, and even if that means that it's easier to break it up, um, and that including the protein with any carbohydrate is, is really important, and that hydration is really key. Exactly. It doesn't have to be huge amounts, but every time we have a bite, we want to get the most bang for our buck. So, well, Abby, do you have any other closing thoughts? That, um, you know, not to get, you know, frustrated. This is something that you can do for you and your child. And, you know, I just say it's baby steps to find out what, what works for you and to keep a, keep a journal. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Abby. And I think um, all of the adult patients as well as parents caring for kids with Fido um, really appreciate that you, you know, were here to give us this advice and, um you know, I think we have some take-home messages that people can apply right away. And what's great about that is that people, in in many cases, can kind of do a, a check of their diet and their intake and um, without really having to go schedule an appointment with a specialist right away. And so it's <laughs> they can be involved with right away because for many mito patients who are in underserved, if you will, you know, um, waiting many months to see a specialist, then we can be making sure that you're at least supporting the energy metabolism process as much as possible through um, what you eat and drink. So thank you so much, Abby. And everyone, please join me in thanking Abby. Thanks. Thank you, Abby. Thank you 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 very much. Welcome. All right, Abby, enjoy your day. And um, everyone will stay on the line for just a few more minutes to continue the chat. Okay, bye. Thank you. so much. Okay, take care, Abby. Thank you. Everyone bear with me. I'm going to finish the recording, and um, and I'll just remind everyone that I will post a summary about this, and I would encourage you also to follow the links to listen to the um, talk from Dr. Flores as well um, from today's conference. So, um, and will the recording from today be available? It will. It usually takes um, a couple hours for them to process it and then for me to put it on the website that it will be up up hopefully this afternoon, if not tomorrow morning, Robert. All right, so bear with me. Let me finish our recording, and then we can continue the chat for a few minutes.